You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, again, the final piece, John 21 to 9. Something you may not be aware of in the Guthrie home is that if you uh, ever are to visit, you may see on our kitchen counter a puzzle being worked on. I've seen them beginning, and as they come together each day as I walk by them, I see them progress more and more until ultimately they are completed. But at different stages I come and I notice that there are different piles of puzzle pieces. I assume that they are the tops and the bottoms and the left and the rights. And maybe even here and there, they're compiled in different color groups. Whatever process is used in completing this process, it is somewhat uh, an intriguing hobby. Nevertheless, if one is lucky enough to maintain all of those thousands of pieces of puzzles until the end of the project, there will certainly be a worthy product in the end. Worth, I think, personally, at least hanging on the wall in a picture frame. But the chances of a completed puzzle in the Guthrie household with non-human bodies moving about the home Operating homeschool, a chef's kitchen, a playground, an office space, and the occasional Friday night football under the fan. If you end up with all those puzzle pieces in the end, you've done good. But as unlikely as it is, as fascinatingly, it indeed tends to find itself completed. And the last piece to the puzzle is always a time to celebrate. The reason the final piece is so important is that without it, you can't complete the task that you set out to accomplish. I could only imagine the discouragement that might come after all those hours invested only to come to the last piece of the puzzle and to not have it. Well, in our portion of Scripture today, we have been building the puzzle piece of the gospel of Jesus Christ from the very beginning of John almost to the end of John. And today we come ultimately to the final piece of the puzzle as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today I want to put into the puzzle that God has created the final piece. The peace that completes the task. The grand objective of God from even before the foundations of the world to seek and to save that which is lost. Here in our text today, we, we will see some different reactions to the Lord's conclusion and His redemptive work in conquering sin and death and taking our sin and giving us victory over it. And you ask, why do I say the final piece of the puzzle? Well, that's because the gospel is the death 
the burial, and the resurrection. Listen, without death, there's no burial. And without the death and the burial, there's no resurrection. And without Jesus raising from the dead, listen, there is no gospel. And in a confused culture, if their methodology of ministry of winning soul does not include all three components that complete the puzzle of the gospel, they got something, but it is not the gospel. It's not the social gospel. This, this, plus this. No, it is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says in verse 1, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received, which also you stand by, which also you are saved. If you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. And then notice what he says, I deliver to you as a first importance. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and that He was raised on the third day. What? According to the Word of God. Romans 4, 24 and 25 says, But for our sakes also, to whom it will be counted as those who believe upon Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who is delivered over on our account for our transgressions and was raised on account of our justification. It is the final puzzle piece to the gospel. And thus Jesus has died, Jesus has been buried, and He must raise again from the grave. It will be the final puzzle piece to the gospel. Three things I would like for you to consider as we look at our text today. First, I want you to notice the report. Secondly, I want you to notice the response. And thirdly, the revelation. Let's begin by considering the report. The death and resurrection of Christ has been predicted from back in the Old Testament in places like Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. Every part of the death, life, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has been prophesied in the Hebrew Scriptures long before the events ever unfold in the timeline of human history. It is indeed no wonder that Jesus the Messiah would say to the Jewish leaders of His day, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of Me. Jesus had already promised the disciples that He would die, that He would be buried, that He would raise again on the third day, they may not have understood that in full, but the truth still remained. We see Jesus describe in the New Testament the fact that He would die for all mankind. Jesus spoke of it in Matthew 21 to 17 and 19. He spoke of it in Mark chapter 10, verse 32 to 34. 
He spoke of it in Luke 18, 31 to 34. And you could assume that in John 12, 7 and 8, when Jesus is dealing with Judas and, and Mary as she is, as she is the, pouring that costly perfume at his feet. And he, Jesus, says to Judas, who is upset about the waste of the valuable perfume, in John 12, 7 and 8, says, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus said back in John 2, if you remember, when He was clearing the temple out from the money changers, they, they, they wanted and asked Him, by what authority... Do you do these things? And Jesus responded in verse 19 of John 2. Jesus answered, destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up again. Of course, they missed the prediction. They were thinking the temple mount itself. And Jesus being all-knowing and understanding that they would kill Him in the flesh, which Scripture refers to as the temple of God, Paul said it this way, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? And so they were given the ability by God to kill the Son of God so that the final piece of the gospel would unfold and the work of Christ would be completed. And my friend, you at that moment could be saved. It's the very intention of God before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would come to the earth and die for our sins. And the reason we are told that Jesus gave His disciples the predictions that they would come about His death, His burial, and His resurrection was for their benefit. He said in John 14, 29, Now I have told you before it happens so that when it happens, what? You may believe. The, the hope, the desire, the intention is for our belief. The resurrection, while it is indeed the finishing puzzle piece to the gospel, Jesus tells you it would be so that you might believe. The thrust of the message is that there might be faith. And that there might be faith in the gospel. John here says in verse 1 of chapter 20, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb, while it was still dark, and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. It's the first day of the week. It's Sunday morning, or you could call it day three. For the Jews counted a partial day as a full day. Thus, when Jesus hangs on the cross on Friday and He dies on Friday, He's buried on Friday. He is in that tomb Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And He is raised from the dead. So Mary, after the death, burial, and resurrection, which she doesn't quite come to full understanding of, comes to the tomb of Jesus with spices. Now, while we don't see that in our text, Luke 24 grants us the privilege and the insight of those details. 
How, though, will she enter? We have not a clue. Because the tomb would have been closed. It would have been sealed and had been guarded by tombs. Or guarded by the soldiers. But early Sunday morning, sometime before Mary ever arrived, we learn in Matthew 28 that something has taken place. There's an earthquake. And the stone is rolled away and the guards are shocked. Another chaos. The guards are scared out of their minds, but while it's still dark, upon Mary's arrival, they notice the stone as they get there is already rolled away. She panics. She expects something other than what has truly happened. And thus we are told in verse 2, so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. Report is given first notice to Simon Peter. That ought to encourage some of us. Because I find it interesting that even after denying Jesus all of those times, Peter is still in that moment seemingly regarded as a leading figure among the disciples. Here we learn that Jesus' tomb is empty. Mary believes that Jesus has been taken. The tomb, you could say, has been robbed. For centuries, this has been a consideration in the denial of the resurrection of Christ that the body was simply robbed. We know this not to be true. It would certainly play into the hands of those who wish to deny the resurrection, but the, 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 the tomb is protected. The, the entryway was sealed shut. And in God's way of protecting with the guards in which Pilate was requested of, because he being all-knowing and knowing how all things would unfold, God can only get the credit. Jesus rises from the dead under the protection of a sealed tomb in a Roman guard. In protecting against the resurrection, Pilate grants us the ability for you and I even today to have a confidence that He rose from the dead, that He lives even today, that He is risen indeed. She's scared this Mary, she doesn't realize that Jesus has risen from the dead. And I assume that when she arrived at the empty tomb, she left the other Mary and others with her that morning and rushed to get the disciples. Because she seems to miss out on what we find in Matthew 28. And so the report comes from Mary to the two disciples, Peter and John. Mary doesn't connect the dots. She doesn't see this as a victory. She doesn't grasp the resurrection that has occurred. She doesn't see the final puzzle piece for the gospel has been accomplished. Rather, she reports in panic and assumption that the missing Lord is a result of grave robbers. The report is simply that Jesus is not there. They have taken the body. And where they have taken Him, notice the text says, we do not know. 
She reports what she knows to be and sees to be true. He isn't there. You and I, on the other hand, have the privilege and to see and to understand that the resurrection has taken place. And the greatest question is, is this, is how will you respond to the report that Jesus has risen from the dead? Will you believe that it is indeed the, the final puzzle piece of the gospel? Or will you choose not to? To report it off as some other ideal or methodology and reject the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've seen the report. Let us consider the response. Mary responds the way she responds. And after she goes back and reports to the two disciples, we are told they came forth and headed then to investigate. John 23 and 4 says, So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. And the two of them were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. The connection word here drives, this word so drives the idea that because the report they respond to go and see. Mary said, Jesus is not there, and so they responded by going and seeing. We are told that John outruns Peter to the tomb. I don't know if there's great evidence of anything special in that statement other than the fact that John is faster than Peter. There's been much ink spilled on some very allegorical interpretations of that. I, I don't feel comfortable giving those. Simply, we just need to be aware of what's being said. John has outrun Peter to the tomb. The other disciples' greater speed wasn't, you know, an indication maybe because he was younger. I don't that, There's all kinds of things that have been said. It's all pure speculation. There could be numerous reasons why. But what we can be certain of is that they both heard and they both went to investigate. They were running, and John and the other disciple, they, he gets there first. When John arrives, we're told that he finds the tomb, just as Mary had said. The stone was rolled back, the tomb is empty. And we are told that he stoops down. He doesn't go inside to check out things. He simply peeks in to see what's happening. It must have been daylight by this time because we know Mary comes early in the morning before the sun had arisen, giving him the ability to see within. And thus we are told, John says in verse 5, in stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wraps laying there, but he did not go in. Right away, by what John sees, seems that Mary's report is not the case. Because if there would have been a grave robber, if there would have been a robbery of the tomb, there would have certainly not removed the linen wraps and left them simply lying there. They would have taken everything with the body. 
We don't hear any response from John as he arrives. There isn't an indication in this moment that he understands that Jesus has risen from the dead and that the final puzzle piece of the gospel has been accomplished. He doesn't go in to see any greater details. He only peeks. But when old Peter gets there, the one like many of us, willing to speak before he thinks, act before he considers, when he arrives, he goes right in to the tomb. He doesn't delay. He's not scared. He, he just right in. Verse 6 says, And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wraps, wrappings laying there. Same report for which John reports, which Mary reports, that there is an empty tomb. And in this tomb only lies the linen wrappings. Something is different, though here, than what we find in the other resurrection from the dead. If you remember, earlier in John, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. If you remember, back in John 11, Lazarus had been dead for four days in the tomb. And he's going to resurrect him from the dead. And Mary reminds him, Lord, he's been dead for four days. He stinketh. That's the King's English. There will be a stench by now. <clears throat> it was common in that culture to bury uh, someone who had died on the same day because of the elements and the heat in Israel. But what I want you to notice is that after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, notice how Lazarus comes out of the tomb. He says here in verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, with power, authority, and sovereignty, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth. What does it say? He came forth bound. Bound hand and foot in wrappings. And on his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This isn't the case for Jesus, is it? His linens lay there in the tomb as if his body simply protrudes up through them. For which they find themselves laying just as his body had laid. My friends, Jesus has risen from the dead. Everything you believe, all of your future hopes, all of your necessity in believing is dependent upon this final puzzle piece. And what we find here is absolutely extraordinary. It is the reality and proof of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Jesus simply moved through the linings. You say that seems a little hocus pocus like some you know, Hollywood movie. But I believe he would be able to do such. Why? Because we learn here in the same chapter in verse 19 that as they are hanging out in that, that room locked behind the doors, Jesus just whoop right through the doors and the walls 
unaffected. So Peter follows John, and rather than standing outside, Peter goes in to see the same things as these wrappings laying there, but we also get a little bit more detail once he gets in the tomb. Not only did he find the linen wrappings, but we are told in verse 7, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Now, this was a cloth square folded and would have been tied around someone's head to keep their mouth from opening. This isn't a robbery, friends. This is a resurrection. The question is, how will you respond? How will you respond? How will they respond? Which is important. The bigger question is, how will we respond? to The resurrection of Christ from the dead. Mary said there was an empty tomb. They investigated. They went to see with their own eyes the proof of the risen Lord. Does that draw us to investigate? To believe and to trust by faith? You say, Pastor, this seems irrelevant to me. Of all that I got going on in my life, no, this is not irrelevant to you or your circumstances. Because if this fails to happen, we are to be most pitied. Because whether you like it or I like it, we will all die. And we will all stand before the Lord in how you view the gospel. Not the social gospel, not the, the self-fabricated gospel of our day, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, which Paul says is the power to save. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So no, it's not irrelevant. It's, it's vital to what we believe as a Christian community. It's vital. You say, well, I believe it. Praise God you believe it. Do we live like we believe it? Do we sacrifice for the Lord like we believe it? Do we honor Christ in our obedience because we believe that He's genuinely risen from the dead and because He lives, we can live. We can face tomorrow as the song said. This isn't secondary. This is primary. Jesus doesn't come out bound in clothing wrapped in these linens, and hundreds of pounds of spices that were given. This is, this is just there. This is resurrection. We've seen the report. They respond. How they respond. They see it. They believe it. But it's not until the revelation of God hits them that they truly grasp it. So let's consider the revelation. We're not told of any response in that moment other than going and seeing for themselves. They obviously believed or they would have not gone based off of Mary's report. They understand the body is gone, but the writer doesn't reveal a response in that moment. 
Peter's the only one that has gone in at this moment. But here we are going to see John now is going to join him and make his way also into the tomb. And so we're told, verse 8 and 9, so the other disciple whom had come to the tomb then also entered. And the text says he saw and he believed. There's a lot of applications here. Listen, one application I think we can take is that your boldness will affect others' boldness. Had Peter been unwilling to go in, maybe John would have not go in. And because John went in, the text says John believed. Are you bold enough to lead well, to be an example for others to follow? It seems in this moment the Lord reveals the reality of the resurrection to John. And he believes. Peter comes in, he sees the same things that John sees. But in this moment, we are told John believes. Both given the same evidence, the same visual reality, but here we're told in seeing John believes. It wasn't until this moment that the Scriptures had come to light to him. I mean, you think about all the miracles that Jesus has done. How many people saw those and yet failed to believe? Some saw the very miraculous signs and wonders of the Messiah and yet they still rejected him. Not everybody did, though. Some believed. Why? Why is it that you can share the gospel to your children and some believe and some just reject? Why is it that, that you, out of an entire family of historical lost people, are born again from above? Why is it that you have eyes to see and they don't? Because salvation is of the Lord. It is the revelation of God. The Bible says no one seeks after God. No, not one. It's not that you love God or I love God, but that God loved us and sent His Son. No one comes to the Lord unless the Lord first draws them. And here, Peter's boldness in, in, in barks John to be bold, goes in and his eyes are open and he sees and the text says he believes. It's the revelation of God in which his eyes are open. And it is the revelation of God even today in which He opens the eyes of mankind that they might believe. Today I just want to ask you, have you the eyes to see that Jesus Christ is risen? That He is Messiah? That He is Lord? That He came to seek and to save the lost? Do you believe it with every part of your being? Because if you believe that to be true and you understand and know that the revelation of God and His Word through the preaching and teaching and through the Scriptures and through the Gospel proclamation is, will, is what God will work through to give eyes to see, 
Are we willing to share our faith? Are we willing to see people come to faith in Christ by our belief in the gospel? You say, Pastor, I believe. That's great. Praise God above. But I think there is a real reality in which we have to ask ourselves, do we believe enough to share? Because I'm here to tell you, we can, as a church, we can set up all kinds of programs. We can have the, the most organized and fancy worship service. We can even have good preaching. You know, you don't have to come here to get good preaching. You can just get on YouTube and watch preaching. There's a lot of good preachers out there. There's a lot that are not. You can advertise on signs and billboards, but let me remind you of this truth. There is no greater outreach than for you to speak to the people that God has put into your life the good news of Jesus Christ. And I know many of you are doing it. But if the statistics are right, it is certainly not the majority who are doing it. And you say, well, I'm not gifted with evangelism. That doesn't matter. You know I'm gifted with evangelism. That's just my heart. It bleeds. But we're still all called to evangelize. I don't have the gift of mercy. My wife will say amen to that. But you know what? My wife still ex expects me to exemplify mercy. Sometimes she has to remind me that's not very merciful to my children when I tell them to suck it up. Listen, if we, as the body of Christ, the local body of believers, are going to continue to see God work in this church and in this community, it will not be because I'm a good preacher. It will not be because we got great resources. It will not be because the air temperature is 70 degrees and there's comfortable chairs and we have all the great programs that are to offer the world daycares and seminaries and all these other things. It will be because you have opened your mouth and shared the hope of Christ with a soul that needs to be saved. And God, in His right timing and by His own method, will open their eyes and you will be like, holy cow, He just accepted Christ. What happened? And there will be, again, a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. We're not hungry. We're not thirsty in this Christian culture. We're so busy with everything in life that, that we've just missed the opportunity which God has set before us. I walked out of these doors this morning and there was a man walking down the road and he had a baseball bat wearing a hoodie. And I made my intention to talk to him. And so as he walked, I walked and we had a good conversation. And I said, hey, you know, Come on out to church. It, are we willing to just be a mouthpiece in a culture that is in desperate need of what only the church can offer?
The world offers all of these things, but what the world needs is the gospel. Because if we truly believe what Paul says, that it is the power unto salvation, and that it is God's power to open the eyes of the blind, you, my friends, are the conduit by which God works through to reach people with the gospel. They say, well, Pastor, I don't, that's your job. I don't have a degree. I don't have the seminary degree. I don't have a doctorate. You don't need all of that. I didn't need all of that to do what I'm doing now. We just need to be faithful. Do you really believe the gospel? Do you really believe the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ? My encouragement is that if you do, then go tell the world. Because there is no hope in anything else other than Christ. And I will be guilty, I believe like you will be guilty, to stand before the Lord and give an account for all those that I failed to give the gospel to. How many people this week have you had an opportunity to maybe just encourage them in the Word of God? And we missed it. We just missed it. I listen to the stories of, of people like Jerry and Scott Qualls and Mark Mansell who are sharing their faith, who are inviting people to church. Guys, listen, I'm stuck behind a desk preparing a message. You have the privilege of seeing real human people face to face every day in your communities. This is not, this is a team effort. Where has God placed you? You're not there just because, well, that's what you wanted. No, you're there because God has you there. And the people in your life are there because God has surrounded you with them or them with you. He is sovereign over your location. He's sovereign over me being a pastor in this church for such a time as this. And I'm just telling you all that this church and every church in the world, lest you and I share the gospel, it will dwindle to nothing. It will dwindle to nothing. This is, we come to be sharpened as iron sharpening iron, to, to take the word of God, the sword, and to go out into battle spiritually. I didn't say you had to be a theologian to tell somebody that you love Jesus and that Jesus loves you and that you have been born again. You have been set free. You are no longer under the bondage of sin. Can you do that? I mean, the demon-possessed man wanted to go with Jesus after he'd been healed. And Jesus said, oh, just go tell them all the great thing that I have done for you. What has God done for you lately? God's done a lot for me. And in this season of my life, 
I want to be faithful to where God has me and what God has me doing. And I'm not discouraged by sitting behind the desk with a cramping neck after typing for eight hours on a Friday just to come and to preach the Word. But I want this church to be set ablaze for Christ. How can you be involved how can you serve the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection should invigorate you. That you, 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 you have life and life abundant. What gifts have you got? The church is never designed to come and get, but to come and give. What have you given? I'm not talking about your money. Some of you have money. That's what God's gifted you with, and you are to do that. But some of you have great spiritual gifts that are given for the edification of the body. And in all of my years of ministry, I watch people come and go. Some go, come good and some bad, leave poorly. And they leave because it looks greener on the other side. Oh, there's a lot more things over there for me. What kind of attitude is that? There's a little book my wife reads to my kids. What if everybody did that? What if we all said that? What is this church for me? I got seven kids. I got teenagers who need husbands and wives. But you know what? There's a lack of limitations here. There's not a lot of teenage girls in this church. Young adults. Now I could say, you know what? This isn't for me. This church doesn't fit my family. I'm just going to go over here because there's a lot more kids. That'd be like me feeding my kids chocolate chip cookies because that's what they want. No, God brought you here. You serve well here. You love the Lord here. You utilize your gifts here. And when God, by His grace, calls you to go somewhere else, you go because you have been called to go. We don't, you're not owned by Family Bible Fellowship. We're all part of the same body of Christ. But God has brought you here. And when God calls you to go somewhere else, God bless you, go. And we will love you, we will pray for you, but there's a good way to go and there's a bad way to go. And we don't know how to leave well in this culture. You know why? Because church is about them, not about you, not about others. We don't just leave our family. This is why pastoral ministry is so disheartening. You pour into the life of an individual. You love them and you, you, you cherish them and they become family. And then all of a sudden, you don't stand with them on a political matter and whoop, you're gone. Listen, the gospel affects every area of our life. And we do life together because of all three Puzzle pieces of the gospel that grant us life and forgiveness and grace and mercy and love for one another. We need to love one another well. Pray for one another well. Believe with one another well. Because the gospel doesn't just sound good. It is good. And it is what changes the hearts of people. And God has called you to share the gospel. 
We can't be inward in this church. All about us. God has called us in Matthew 28 to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Don't think for a second it doesn't bother me that we ain't baptizing people. Because if we're not baptizing people, that means people ain't getting saved. And if people ain't getting saved, I got a problem with that because we are here to do the Lord's work. And if people ain't getting saved, then we ain't doing the Lord's work. I believe that God's still able to save. But we have to be the feet, the hands, and the mouthpieces for Christ. And there is not one soul in here, young or old, that don't have the ability or capability, who are born again from above, who have the Spirit of God indwelling them, that don't have the ability to share the hope of Christ with people. Will they accept it? Probably not. Most of the time. But that's God's business. They have the same opportunity. They walked into the same tomb. And by God's grace and by God's mercy, we're told John believed. Now you can argue, oh, he didn't really believe with salvific belief. You know, it was a belief and uh, you can go to the Greek and you can you know, the progressive aorist tense, and it, it, it could be he began to believe, and it was a process. No, throughout the whole book of John, we see God open the eyes of people who have the same opportunity, and yet they believed. John believes. Did they fully understand? I don't have a clue. But I will tell you this. That will take place after Pentecost. And after Pentecost, all would become even more clear to them. That's what we're told after they had investigated, went in the tomb. John believes. We're told the disciples went away again to their homes. The climax of the resurrection had been reached. There was belief. And thus they went to the places in which they lived. And as I pondered this, I want you to imagine with me for a moment of the conversation with the mother of Jesus. John, who believed. She came home and told the mother of Jesus. The Messiah has risen. He's alive. I could see the excitement and the joy in that. I'm sure she just stayed home and didn't tell nobody. I'm sure when he believed and was changed and understood and his eyes were open and he believed that the gospel had been completed through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, he just went home and maybe didn't even tell his mom. No. He went. He spoke about it. Why? Because it was important. And there was great value in it. The resurrection, my friends, is the final puzzle piece of the gospel. And the gospel is what saves. So my encouragement to you today is to believe. To believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ 
that it is what saves and to believe it enough that you would be willing to be a mouthpiece for Christ. That we, together as the body of Christ, individually members of one another, would, would be willing to be faithful in the proclamation of the truth of God's Word. Ultimately, the gospel. Discipleship. Teaching them to observe all that you have commanded. We do it in our families. We do it in our young groups. We do it in our adult groups. We do it in the church. We do it in Sunday school. We do it on Wednesday nights. We need to live life together so that God can be glorified and that the gospel can be proclaimed into your household and into your school and into your workplace and to your families. The gospel must go forth for His glory. The final puzzle piece is done. And we can celebrate the completed work of Christ. And we can take that gospel like a puzzle, put it on the wall for all to see. It is finished. Your justification, your sanctification, your redemption, all in the framework of the completed gospel through the resurrection of Christ. Believe today and leave out of here today with a new vigor, a new desire, a new hunger to just share your faith because God has created you and made you uniquely different than every single person here. And there are people that you can share the gospel with that I will never have the privilege of sharing. Some of you in a different language. And God will use you for His glory. And you will, be, you will be so joyful when you see God use you to lead maybe someone's family member who has been praying for ages that they might come to Christ. And God chose you to be the vessel, the delivery, to preach the gospel to them to give them their identity of who they were in creation, who they were in the fall, who they are in redemption, who they are in their sanctification, and who they are in their glorification, so that God would be glorified. Would you be a mouthpiece for Christ? Start that today. Start that today. And for those that have never placed their faith in the gospel, or you have placed your faith in the gospel, but the gospel's never really transformed your life and it's just a, a form and a fashion that you've walked through, I, I call you to evaluate your life, to put your faith in the gospel so that God can use you. Today you can be saved by believing. Let's pray. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.